John chapter 13, starting at verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my own, I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I'll get set up. Hi to everyone out in the overflow. Uh, thanks for being out there to fit our COVID requirements. Um, I think we have worked out by you can um, ask questions at the end. There will be a roving mic and you will come disembodied uh, as sound over the airwaves in here. So look forward to that. Uh, well, uh, last week was UWA O Day and we had a stall down there. Um, Union Church was set up. Uh, saying hi to the students there, chatting with people about what they believe. And if you've, um, lots of you have probably been to O-Day. It's, it's amazing. There's, there's thousands and thousands of students there uh, kind of walking around, looking at all the stalls, and they kind of come past in this huge flow. And if, if you've been on the Union Church stall or like the CU stall, you're there and you're, you're trying to find people who might be Christians and might be interested in uh, kind of connecting with church. And... Um, and so here's my question. You're there at O'Day. How do you pick who the Christians are in that flow of people? How do you pick who the Christians are? If you could observe all those students at O'Day, do you reckon you could spot the Christian? Uh, now, caveat, you can't just pick someone with a CU t-shirt. That's cheating. Uh, you need to uh, find some other way. Is I have to be careful because if this drops out, those guys can't hear me. So I've got you. Um, what is the distinctive thing about a disciple? Um, back when I was at uni, uh, it was dolphins. Uh, just one particular year, I can't explain it, but everyone with a dolphin T-shirt, they were a Christian. Um, it wasn't that every Christian was wearing a dolphin T-shirt, but everyone who had a dolphin themed t-shirt, they like bang on, 100% Christians. Um, can't explain it, I'm just giving you the facts. That's what it was. Another year, it was backpacks. Um, you know, uh, backpacks kind of slung off one shoulder, was really cool. Um, and so anyone who had like sensibly two shoulder straps on, Christians. <laughs> but that's not really it, is it? That, that's not enough. What marks out a Christian? What is the distinctive thing about Jesus' disciples. And there's two answers to that question here in this passage. Uh, two 
distinctive marks of a Christian. And it's important for us to get this straight because if you call yourself a Christian, then these will need to be two marks of you. Two things that will need to be distinctive about your life. Do you look like this? Do you live like this? But before we get to those two things, we need to work out where we're up to. Last week, uh, we saw Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Uh, This amazing act of self-lowering by Jesus to serve his disciples. And then after that, we saw Judas go out into the night to betray Jesus. Have a look with me. Uh, Verse 30. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And that's like a trigger. That is the gun going off. Judas leaves and it sets all this stuff in motion. Verse 31, when he was gone, that moment triggers. Jesus said, now, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. All through John's Gospel up to this point, uh, Jesus has been talking about uh, this hour, this moment when he will be glorified. And now it's here. And the amazing thing is, it's in his death. Set off by Judas going out into the night. He has set the wheels turning on Jesus' shameful arrest and brutal execution. And Jesus says, now is the moment when I'll be glorified. It's not just that Jesus' resurrection is glorious or that his ascension into heaven to be with the Father is glorious. No, Jesus says the cross. That is the moment of glory. But that's not the only thing that gets set in motion here. Judas leaving is also the trigger for Jesus talking about his leaving. Have a look there, verse 33. He goes on, My children... I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is uh, leaving, and he's going to the Father. Now, in the next chapter, chapter 14, he's going to explain that he's going to the Father to prepare a place for his disciples. So eventually they will be where he is. But he says now, where I am going, you cannot come. And that's because it's not just that he's going to the Father. He's going to the Father by way of the cross. That is the path that he has to take. And that's the path that Peter can't follow now. And so now uh, they need to learn how to live as his disciples after he's gone without them. And that's the important thing because it sets the scene for everything that Jesus is about to tell them. He's about to tell them about what it's going to be like after he's gone. I don't know if you've had that experience when like your parents have gone away, maybe for the first time and and left the kids behind and your mum and dad kind of spends three hours taking you through all of the instructions for the house. It's like, you know, don't fight with your sister, you know, make sure you put the bins out on Tuesday night. Um, If the fish dies... Don't worry about it, just put it in the freezer. You know, all those kind of, just all the details laid out. And Jesus is leaving instructions for when he's gone. And so the trigger of Judas leaving means that Jesus starts to prep them for him leaving. Okay, so here we are. What then is the distinctive mark of the disciple? 
that Jesus wants to leave with his disciples. It's there in verse 34. It's love. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love one another. That's what Jesus wants to leave with them. Uh, he's already told them uh, to love their neighbour, but this, is, this command is focused. The distinctive mark of the disciple is that they love other disciples. They love each other. Uh, but we need to ask some questions here um, to see if we can dig a little deeper into what this should look like. Because here's a question, maybe it occurred to you, maybe it didn't. Uh, why does Jesus call it a new command? He says, a new command I give you. Uh, because actually it's a pretty old command, if you think about it. Uh, love the Lord your God, uh, love your neighbour as yourself. They are Old Testament commands from God. So how is this a new command uh, to love? Uh, well, Jesus does go on to explain. He says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, it's new because it defines the new type of love. Not just any old love, but a love like his. The same way that Jesus does. So how has Jesus loved them? Well, he's just washed their feet. He's shown them this amazing, humble act of, of self-giving love lowering himself to the shameful position of a slave to care for them. Uh, but there's more. Judas has just left, remember. And so events are in motion that will lead to Jesus' death. And that's where we see Jesus' love the most. See, uh, flick over to chapter 15, just a couple of pages. Chapter 15, verse 12. He actually repeats the command and look what he adds. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. All right, we've already had that. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the thing that defines the type of love. We lay down our lives for one another to lay down one's life for one's friends. To love like Jesus is to love like that. I don't think Jesus means just like oh, diving in front of a bullet for um, your friends, but, but in what he's just done, in, in washing feet, to, to lay down themselves, to do all of those self-lowering things which put the other first and which lay down our lives for the sake of another, to wash feet to bring supper, to help someone move house, to sit and listen and cry with someone. Laying down our own ambition and preferences for the other. Uh, if someone uh, here at Union Church gave up their night to sit with a fellow uh, brother or sister um, in a time of sadness or a time of grief, that would be amazing. That would be love. And the only thing better would be if that person had a huge assignment due the next day and it actually got them. It cost. That's the kind of love like Jesus. And Jesus says that will be distinctive 
That's the distinctive thing. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, that is the distinguishing mark. Not dolphin-themed T-shirts, not sensible backpacks, not those things, but self-giving love for each other. And that's exactly what made the first Christians distinctive uh, in their culture. Um, In 19... No, not 19... In 197 AD, so 2nd century, Christianity had grown in the Roman Empire and had started to actually face persecution from different uh, quarters. And so this new believer, a guy called Tertullian, wrote a letter to the Roman governors, kind of as like a a defence against Christianity to say, hey, look, this is who we are, this is what we're on about, this is the kind of stuff we do, maybe stop attacking us quite so so much. And so within this, there's this famous line about how people recognise Christians for their love. But I wanted to read you like a big chunk. Um, Is that readable? It's a chunk. You don't have to read along. I'm going to read it out. Um, Because I think there's something cool about kind of seeing this whole thing unfold. He starts to talk about money in the church. And here's what he says. Each member adds a small sum once a month or when he pleases, and only if he's willing and able, for no one is forced. But each contributes of his own free will. These are the deposits, as it were, made by devotion. For that sum is dispersed uh, dispersed not on banquets, nor drinking bouts, but on the supporting and burying of the poor, and on boys and girls deprived of property and parents. But the working of that kind of love, most of all, brands us with a mark of blame in the eyes of some. They say, see how they love one another and how they are ready to die for one another. Isn't that fascinating? Like a fascinating little window into the early church. Right there, the distinctive mark of the disciples. See how they love one another. And also, notice the next bit. And how they are ready to die for one another. What an observation. That is really it, laying down their lives for each other. So uh, let's let's think practically. How can we do that uh, here at Uni Church? Um, A few practical things. Um, That bit from Tertullian actually reminded me of something that we do here at St Matthews. We have a thing called the St Matthews Benevolent Fund, uh, and it's our way of doing that Tertullian thing. People set aside a little bit of money, put it in a fund. It's administered by people here in our church and it's made available um, to help people to pay bills or medical expenses um, when they're in a position where they can't afford to pay those things themselves. Or when people walk off the street here, uh, come into church kind of looking for help, then we have resources available to, to help them in different ways. And I know that uh, people here at Uni Church can do give money into that fund and others who have been blessed by it through the years. Now, that's not exclusively uh, set aside for Christians, but it's one way that our church family has of, of seeking to love one another in practical ways. Um, that's kind of financial help side of things, but love doesn't need to involve money. It can just be uh, where we show care for one another in the, in the day-to-day of life. And that's uh, something that happens each week here at Uni Church. We want Uni Church to be a place where we show personal love for each other. Um, and if you're thinking, well, I don't know where to start with that. 
Or just start with your hub group. If you're in a hub group, that's kind of like a small group to begin with. If, if someone from your hub group is, is in ISO, then pray for them. Be the one to, to take them a kind of little care pack, drop off emergency ice cream supplies, you know, the essentials. Just, just start where we are with the people around us to show that kind of self-giving love that is the mark of a disciple of Jesus. That is the first distinctive mark of the disciple, and that's right there in the passage. But what is the second one? Uh, The second distinctive mark of the disciple is there in the conversation with Peter from verse 36. Uh, Jesus is talking about his leaving, and um, he's talking about uh, them showing this love for one another, but Peter is still stuck on the other thing. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa go back. You're, you're going where? Uh, what's going on there? He is concerned. Jesus has just said that he's leaving. We need to deal with this. See, in the Gospels, uh, Peter is like the archetype of a disciple. He is the first ever example of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And he has the perfect disciple instincts. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. And he wants to do what Jesus says. And he even gets what that means. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will. What will he do? I will lay down my life for you. See, he gets it. He gets that being a disciple means that you lay down your life for one another and for your Lord. A few years ago, um, we toyed with the idea of having that as our uni- official UniChurch slogan. Just UniChurch, come and die. That, just, that is a slogan, you have to imagine it on like t-shirts and hoodies, um, those kind of things. Come and die as our slogan. We didn't go with that. Probably felt a bit much to have that on merch and stuff. But that's what discipleship is about. Laying down your life. And Peter gets it. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But of course, here's the thing. He doesn't. He doesn't. Verse 38. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. See, the second distinctive mark of the disciple is failure. The second distinctive mark of the disciple is failure. Who had failure at point two? See, disciples are like Peter. We have the instinct to follow Jesus. We want to lay down our lives for him as we serve him, as we love each other. But we fail. Peter is, is kind of like that character in the action movie. He comes into every scene just like guns blazing and just kind of wanting to be the hero. But he ends up getting in worse trouble. And in the end, he's the anti-hero. He's the relief. He is the character against whom we see who the real hero is when he comes on the scene. See, a better way to read verse 38 is like this. Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me? 
See, Jesus knows it's going to be the other way around. In fact, we've already heard those same words on Jesus' lips back in chapter 10. John 10, verse 14. Jesus says, I'll let you turn up, John 10. It's only a couple of pages. John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. See, Jesus is the hero. He is the one who will lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is Jesus, not Peter. See, the distinctive mark of the disciple is that we fail. We fail, but we depend upon the one who has laid down his life for us. We depend upon him and his grace and his forgiveness to restore us for our failure. We fail, but he doesn't. Peter doesn't lay down his life. He runs. But Jesus does. And so they're the two distinctive marks of a disciple from this little passage. Love and failure. Love and failure. Love because we lay down, uh, we're to lay down our lives for each other, just as Jesus did. But failure because we fall short of that and we depend upon his grace to restore us and forgive us. See, Peter's story doesn't actually end there. Um, as the night goes on, uh, the rooster does crow and Peter realises what he's done, denying Jesus, and he cries bitterly. But that is not the end for him. That's not the end. After his resurrection, uh, Jesus welcomes him back as a brother and he tells him, go feed my sheep, the sheep that I have laid down my life for. Go feed my sheep. And so the same Peter who has deserted Jesus and run from him becomes the same one who will go and tell the world about him. That transformation happens because Jesus lays down his life. He succeeds where Peter fails. And then in the end, just like Jesus said in verse 36, Jesus says, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. And that's exactly what happens. Peter does end up getting killed uh, in the service of Jesus. He does lay down his life for Jesus. But only after Jesus has done that for him. And really, that should be the pattern of the Christian life. Jesus' death means that our failure isn't the end. Instead, we have been restored and forgiven so that we can then live that new life of self-giving love just as Jesus calls us to. Why don't we pray for God's help as we go out and do that in the coming week? Let's pray. Loving God, uh, we know ourselves to be those who fail, who are marked by a failure uh, to live uh, with the same kind of love as Jesus. Um, we thank you that in your Son, 
you have won forgiveness for us. Please, by your spirit, uh, work uh, that new life and that transformation in us so that we might live all the more uh, like your son, uh, showing that same love that he has shown us to one another and the world beyond. And we pray in his name. Amen.